All right, guys. How are y'all doing this morning? Yeah. Got a few guys that are going crazy here this morning. All right, cool. Hey, my name is Michael Page. I'm the campus pastor here at uh, the Savannah campus uh, or the, uh, of, of, I guess you would call it Savannah Garden City, Cooler, Effingham. We have people from every background, I feel like, in the world. So um, I love that, but I, I, I'm the campus pastor here. I'm the one that um, um, is going to be bringing you the message today. Um, and so I just want to welcome you here. Um, my, my heart and our heart as a staff and as a church, is, uh, as Meredith has already said, is for you guys to be connected to a growing relationship with Jesus. That's why we do everything we do. That's why we spend every cent we spend. That's why we give every ounce of energy we give towards seeing our body connected to a growing relationship with Jesus and also seeing the community out there reach for the glory of God and for him to be able to um, change people's lives through the obedience of his church because that's the heart behind the church. And so if you're new this morning, I just want to give you a special welcome. Um, if, if you're looking for a church home or if it's your first time back to church in a long time, uh, welcome. And I pray that you would get involved and not just involved, but I pray that you would get invested because if you're a believer in Jesus, his command to the church is for them to live in unity together and live in a growing maturity together to see the, the correct image of God portrayed to the world. Um, before we get going too far this morning, I want to do what we always do. Uh, I just want to take some time to kind of turn our hearts towards the Lord, I just want to spend some time to yourself and just, just be quiet. Um, let the Lord evaluate your heart. If you want to come to this altar, you can. If you want to kneel in front of your chair, you can. If you want to stand up, sit down. If you want to do anything, you can. The only thing I ask you to do is just not be loud. You know what I mean? But um, just, uh, just, I just want to just kind of turn our hearts to the Lord, and then after we get, I'll give you a few seconds or a minute or so, and then we will um, come back together, and I'll pray for us. God, we praise you this morning in this place. God, you're, you're worthy of all glory and honor and praise. God, you're the only one that deserves it. Father, we praise you this morning that, that we're able to be here as a body to worship freely before you, God. I pray, God, this morning that the word that is, is, that is spoken from Scripture, God, that you would just fill it, Father, to the fullness and it would just penetrate hearts this morning in a way, God, that, they, that people has never um, experienced. God, I pray, God, that you would just soften the hearts of the hearers. God, that you would convict our hearts this morning, God, and give us the courage to change as we see Scripture teaching us. Father, I pray this morning that you would just fill this body up and send us out on a very direct mission, Father, to see the nations reach and the lost reach, Father, for your kingdom and your glory. Father, I pray this morning, God, that you would just humble us. Father, you would bring us to our knees. God, you would break our hearts in places that need to be broken, Father, so that it can align with you. God, I pray that if we read Scripture this morning and it, and it, and it doesn't align with our beliefs, God, we would, we would rearrange our beliefs, God, because to, to, your word is the final authority, and we believe that this morning, God. So we love you, Father. We praise you, Father. We give you all the glory, Father, because it's all yours. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay, so last week we started a series uh, um, called Framework, uh, where we're going to be looking at and dissecting uh, the cultures of our church. And if, if you're new here this morning or if you're, if you're visiting, uh, this is a great series to be uh, getting involved in because it tells you exactly who we are, what we believe, and where we're going. Um, and there's four things that we kind of look at as is, is, is uh, kind of the cultures of who we are as the church and what cultures basically are. If you don't know what a culture is, it's basically telling us who we are. Like if you look at Connection Church, Savannah, who are we? Who are we? What are we committed to that's going to make us um, to be 
easily used by the Lord. And so if, you, if you're heart and soul at Connection Church, and heart and soul is what we call our members here, if you're heart and soul, we believe that these four cultures will be showing themselves in increasingly um, in increasingly evident fashion in your life. And last week we talked about community. So we think they're community, serving, generosity, and evangelism. Those four things, we believe that if you're growing in those four areas in your life, you're, you're growing in those four areas with the Lord. We believe that if you're growing in your relationship with Jesus, those four things can't not grow. Because those four things work in, in, in increasingly fa- in fashion whenever you're growing in your relationship with Jesus. And so if you look and turn to Acts 2, verse 42 to 47, this is kind of our theme verse for the series. It shows you what we're looking at. So if you want to turn there, Acts 2, 42 to 47. If you have your Bible, it's awesome, guys. And I know the way technology is today, we like to use our phones. And I'm not picking on anybody, but there's something special about bringing the Word of God to church, opening it up. And looking at it. And so let's, let's look at this together. Acts 2, 42 to 47. Because we believe this passage is going to give us a very clear model. If you're looking at scripture on how the church should function. And this is the passage we've adopted as a church to look at it for our four cultures. And so we look at our culture today, the way church functions now. And when I look in scripture, I see a disconnect. And I'm trying my best to get us on track with what we see in scripture. So 42 to 47 is what it says. And just to kind of give you context, 3,000 people just got saved. Peter preached a a jam-up sermon. People, He told people to repent and be baptized. And then 3,000 people get saved, and they started living in community together following Jesus. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so today we're going to be looking at the serving portion of this and how every time we look in Scripture, I'm not, I don't care where you look in Scripture, from the front to the back, we see the church and we see believers in Christ, we see followers of God the most common characteristics that we see in those people's lives, we see they serve one another well, and they serve their community well. Those two things stick out to me the most. You look, you look in Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells us to not use our freedom to indulge our flesh, but we should rather use our freedom to serve one another and humbly in love. Use our freedom to serve one another. He says it again in Philippians 2. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. He says the same thing. But this is what I love about Paul. He's always taking it up a notch. Taking it up a notch. Taking it up a notch. 5 through 7. Philippians 2, 5 through 7 says this. In your relationships with one another, the church, us, together as a body, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Let that sink in for a second. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Let that sink in for a second. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And if you look at this scripture in depth, you can look at that word servant, and the actual translation of that word servant is doulos. And if you look deeper into that word, the actual closer meaning to that word is slave. And so what you look at here, so what this is saying, Jesus was God. Jesus, it says in Colossians that Jesus formed the earth. Jesus formed creation. Jesus was the creator, the sustainer, the beginning, the end of all things. And he, didn't, he did not use the authority that he had 
to his advantage. I mean, he could have done this and it changed everything. He could have done this, commit, great commission done. He could have done this, people healed all over the world. No, he, could have done, I mean, he didn't use his authority to his advantage or to bring himself the glory in the moment. But instead, he took on the very nature of a slave. Think about that for a second. Let that sink into your minds for a second as we're sitting here in our air-conditioned building. Let that sink into your minds for a minute as we, as we think about the things we do in our life. You know, what is this saying? We cannot look past Philippians 2 as we're talking about serving in our church, in, our, in the body, or, or in, our, in our neighborhoods, or in our communities, or in our homes. One thing Perry and Erica said about serving, you know, it starts in your home. If you're not serving your wife or your husband or your children, what you do at church is just a facade. It starts in the home. But listen, what does this mindset look like in the church? You think about this, though. Making yourself, you know, not using your, your authority to your advantage, but making yourself having the very nature of a slave. This type of mindset, it kills pride in our hearts that causes division. There's no more pride in the church because it kills it because we're a slave. I'm your servant. What do you need today? How can I help you? Does that floor need swept? Okay. Does that trash need taken out? Okay. Let me help you to your car. Listen, the mindset, it kills arrogance. There's no more room for arrogance in the body because what happens is it, it, the arrogance sometimes comes in and it tries to fight for position. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to be heard. I want to be seen. I want, my, I want my opinion to matter. I want this to look this way or that to look that way. It doesn't do that. This same mindset, what it does is it grows humility in the body. The body is completely humble and completely unified, growing together to become the mature body that Ephesians 4 talks about. And the mindset, what it does is it grows us into the image that God is calling us to, to be in the world. And this what it does, this, this type of mentality, this slave mentality, it creates influence in our communities. Can you imagine going in some of these communities and serving them like you're their servant or their slave? They would be like, what, what's happening? You would create so much influence. And what does influence do? It gives you a vehicle to share the gospel. That's the heart behind it. You take, it's, we take on the character of God, the character of Christ. And what happens when that happens is the world no longer sees us because we've died to ourselves, right? That's what it says in the scripture. We die to ourselves and we follow Jesus. So they see the character of Jesus coming out of the church. But that's not what I see in the American church. I see the character of the people in the church coming out of the church a lot of times, right? And this needs to change, and that's why we're discussing these cultures, because if we're going to serve the community well that we live in, if we're going to partner with people and love on people and, and have these long-term relationships with ministries and organizations in our town and, and go out and try to reach the lost and hurting and dying and broken in our community, we can't be, it can't be about us. It cannot be about us. It has to be about Jesus. And look at the church in Acts 2. This is the church the world saw in, in this time, Acts 2. This is what they saw. And what does the passage say happened at the very end? It says, they gave, it says they gained favor of how many people? All the people. They gained favor with all the people. And the second thing, people got saved daily. Let that just kind of like simmer for a minute. Is that your goal as you are saying, hey, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a Jesus follower, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian? What's your goal in life? What is your goal in seeing people reach with the gospel for the kingdom? Are you, are you trying to see your, your own kingdom built? Are you trying to see Christ's kingdom built in your life, through your life, the energy that you're putting forth? And Where are we at on that spectrum? Try to, Because ask yourself that. Because it, it, the reason this was happening in Acts 2 
It's because they were invested in community. They were invested in the group of people that they were doing life with. We like to call those connect groups here. They weren't just loosely committed when it was convenient or when their schedule was opened up enough for them to attend a connect group. That's not the way that it looked. Um, they, were, they were committed to serving, not just when it served them or made them look better or met some ulterior motive in them. They were committed to serving because that Jesus had served them so well. They were committed to generosity. We're going to talk about this next week. They were radically generous. Not to say, look how much money I gave to the church. Look how much money I give to this organization. Or, or since I gave so much, this is the color the carpet should be. That's not, that's not what it was about. They were generous because they realized that everything that had been given to them, they were just stewards of. That's the heart behind it. Number four was evangel. They, they evangelized because they, it was Norm was breathing to them because they believed with all their heart the message that Jesus came and taught. Jesus taught it. They passed it on to the disciples. The disciples passed it on to the other believers, and they believed it to their bones. It became who they were. But what set them apart, I want you to hear this, it was their motivation. They did all this. They, they met in groups. They served. They were generous. They evangelized. Because they did it in a response to what Jesus had already done. They, they were driven by love for him. Not by selfish motivations, not by a church competition, not by seeing who could have the biggest building or the biggest following or whatever. This pastor, that is not about that. It's about Jesus and him being glorified. So today our focus we're going to talk about is going to be on serving. And, and that connection, the way that we introduce this is what we call it, you know, is, is to our bodies. We empower people to take ownership of this place and to serve consistently in the life of our church. And to see the reason why we do that is because we long to see the mission that God's given us push forward. Push forward. That it's not just a pastor on a stage, but it's a body coming together and driving forward. We want to see the kids' ministry look like it does because people are giving themselves of their selves their time and their energy to see the kids. These kids in the back, the parents will tell you, they're not just getting told little Bible stories and babysat and giving them a snack here. These kids are memorizing Scripture. They're going home and their parents are like, I don't even know that much Scripture. I can't memorize that much. What are you doing? You're three. Yeah, and, they, and so they're memorizing Scripture. They're, they're learning not just what stories mean, but what other passages of Scripture mean. Our guest services ministry, our heart is for if you came in here the, for, for the first time today that you felt like family. That's our heart because if you, if you, that's what you are. We want you to feel like family. And, and the, the motivation behind that is, hey, God blessed me so much. I want to do that for somebody else. So I'm going to stand in that place and I'm going to make somebody else feel welcome. And guess what? Hopefully that will pass on and on and on. And our hope is that you serving in here would change your heart towards, being, towards people out there. Serving in here would change your heart to a way where you're starting to serve people at your job, where people are starting to look at you like, what is wrong with you? You're not normal. You're, I mean, what? You, you want to do what? Listen, that you would begin to see people as valuable and begin to, to see them as being, like, have value in the kingdom. Personally, own the cultures of serving and love people that you may not have been associated with before. And if we're going to be successful in this as a sending church, which I believe that's what God has called us to be, serving is going to be one of the most important cultures that we create to get our hearts around. And every week, if we do, I, I told you all last week, I messed up my, my, my demonstration, but I got it today. My man Thomas hooked me up with a reminder. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. So, again, um, so every week during this series, I'm, I'm going to try to give you a visual of where we're at 
as a church in the, each culture that we do so that we can either celebrate or improve these baseline things in our church, right? And so I've talked to 10 people, and I hope I got 10. So can y'all come up and find your place? Everybody give them a hand. Yeah. Okay, so listen, if y'all are math teachers in this room, just don't say anything, okay? I'm not the best math teacher. I'm not the best at math anyway, but like, I'm going to just do this, okay? So this, we're going to look at percentages today. I got the right number? Yes. Okay, cool. So this year on average, our, our church has averaged about 159 people on Sundays, on a given Sunday. That includes kids and things like that. Today, our serving culture, the way that we have our serving people who are assigned up to serve, to, to serve on Sundays or during the week at students, is 71 people, and they serve in various aspects. So that tells me there's 45% of people actively serving. And so I told four, four and a half of you to stand up. Did I not? So could y'all do that now? Ladies? Three ladies and men? Yeah, y'all three? So this is one, two, three, four and a half. Got a baby. Okay. Okay. So anyway, so we got four and a half. So this is what it looks like, okay? So you see the, do you see the ratio we got here? You see the ratio we got going here? This needs improving. And I, and I honestly didn't mean to do it this way. It just kind of happened. But all the women are standing up and all the men are sitting down. It just kind of happened this way. But right now, about, about 30% of those people that are serving are women. And so, men of our church, let's step up. Let's do some stuff together and let's get involved in this together. Y'all can sit down. Y'all can give them a hand and they can, they can go on their way. Thank y'all so much. That's it. You can stay there. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. And so... That's the heart behind it. That's where we're at. I just wanted to show you what it looks like to have just 45% of our, our, our church doing 100% of the work. Does that make sense? And so the heart behind these sermon series is that you would understand that if you, have, if you are in a relationship with Jesus, if you're a Christian, you have value to the kingdom. You have gifts in your body that God wants to use to spread his message to the world. And you have gifts inside of you that God wants to use to serve the local church to see it built up. And if you're not, if you're if you're a visitor here and today, and you're not, you, this is not your home church. I pray this message would send you back to your home church, and that you would be invested this way at your home church. So that's what it's about. And so also, yeah. So anyway, let's look let's look at our, at our main text today in John, John chapter thirteen. We're going to look where Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and we have a great example of what it looks like to be um, to be servants. John thirteen. Verse 1 through 17. Get your pen out. I like the, the pages sound great. I love it. All right. Here we go. Verse 1. John 13. It's after John 12. Right before John 14. It says this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that his hour had come for, for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were on this earth... He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So you see that? He had authority. He had authority. Verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his feet, disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you are going to wash my feet? 
Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but you later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Pride. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Verse 10, Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that, and that, that was why he, was not, he said not everyone was clean. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, I your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so we're going to look to this a little bit more in a few seconds, but I have some really bad news for a lot of us this morning, and I doubt that anybody's ever really told you this, but your life is not about you. And that's hard for me to say because I make my life about me a lot, right? Think about this. Like I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but for me, I live like my life's about me, right? I sat in front of the mirror for a little while this morning. Do I look okay? Do my, do my shoes match? My clothes? Do these, these look good? Should I wear this? Should I wear that? Or I'm going to save this much money to go here and do that. James Ford talks about that. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to go to vacation here. I'm going to save enough money to buy this car, this truck. I'm going to do this or that. I act like my life is about me. My comfort, our peace, our security, our goals, our dreams, who do they benefit? Me. Me. My life. I'm the center of my world, right? I like, I like me a lot. Nobody in this room likes me more than me, right? And I'm sure we can all do that to ourselves in here. I'm sure you all have had those experiences where you're like, I'm pretty selfish at the moment. My gosh, what is wrong with me? Like, serving is one of the most important church cultures, but it's also one of the most difficult to get people to do because it can't be done while you're focusing on yourself. You know, we serve people because Jesus first served us. It, looks, it says it right here in John 13. That's why we do it. We serve other people, whether it's in the church, in the world, at our homes, because Jesus first served us. He lowered himself to... to to a slave to make sure that I was served. Our serving, therefore, is a response to what Jesus has already accomplished and done. It's a response. That's all it is. It's a response. We don't serve out of duty, out of, out of some religious ritual, or because we're trying to earn God's favor, because I'm going to tell you where that will get you. That will get you straight to burnout. If you're trying to serve because, God, please love me, I might have screwed up here, but, God, look how many times I've served, and look how much I've done for the kingdom. It'll burn you out because you're doing it for the wrong reasons and the motivation will just wear you out because you're trying to white knuckle until you get to heaven. And you're going to be very, very really awakened when that happens. It's important that we see we serve because the weight of what Jesus has done on the cross in leaving heaven and coming to earth for a rebellious and self-centered fool like me is overwhelming. That should overwhelm us. The, the fact that he would do that for us. We, we serve because of that. At Connection Church, our heart is that, that serving would just be done out of joy. 
I get to serve you because Jesus served me and he loved me. And I just, I'm, I just want to serve you, man. What can I do for you? How can I walk alongside of you? We want it to be a joy, but we also want it to be normal. Like if you come to church here, this is where you call home, serving is just normal. It's just what we do here because we love each other and we're, we love Jesus and Jesus has died for us and he's served me. And that's what we do. Because every person in this room, I'm telling you from experience, I'm telling you from what I've read, that every person in this room has been gifted with extraordinary gifts. Every person. Whether you're saved or not, whenever you become saved, Jesus has, is going to ignite those things and is going to push those things forward to see the kingdom built. Some of you don't even realize it yet. Some of you haven't even tapped into it yet. Some of you don't even know what it is yet. But while that is true, while you have a gifting in your life, in your body, in your abilities, we have to realize that we aren't gifted with those gifts for our own benefit. We're not gifted for, for those things for, for us. 1 Peter 4, you don't have to turn there. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11 says this. It says, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded. Okay? So that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to do what? To serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, let, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. Why? So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So you see, we're not gifted by God for our own good, but rather for the, to bring God glory on this earth through loving and serving other people. Blessing others by the, using the gifts to serve people. You are God's conduit for blessing other people. You are God's conduit for blessing other people. Go to Acts 2 again. You don't have to turn in there. Just remember in your head. And you'll see a common attitude in that group of people towards God and towards the people around them. Jesus had changed their hearts so radically. They could not not serve. They could not serve because they, I have to serve because I see it now. And the problem with the church today is you haven't seen it yet. A lot of people are coming in claiming to be born again, but they haven't been born again. A lot of people are claiming to be Christians, but they're just arming a seat. We have to understand what it means to know Jesus and to see him come into our lives and wake us up. They loved God. They loved other people. And they knew their purpose was to know God and to make God known. Those are the two things that they saw. And so, real quick, I want to give you three things of why we serve, you know, why it's important to have a culture of serving at this church. And there's three quick things of why we serve, and there's three quick things of what will hinder us from serving? And I know that's probably what y'all want to hear because I want to know why application. But number one, why we serve? Well, we just we already said it because Jesus served us. We serve because Jesus served us. We have one of our value statements here at this church is saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. If you're a member of this church, if you're heart and soul, that needs to be something that's stamped on your heart. That if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, that you're saved, I, ought to, I'm, I serve you. I'm here to serve. I'm here to do whatever it needs to be done because I'm here to serve you because I love you. John 13, we just looked at verse 15. It says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus has set an example for us as believers to do what he's done for other people. When Jesus saw a need, he met a need. He met people where they were. He didn't say, hey, get cleaned up, then I'll serve you. 
Hey, get off those drugs, and then I'll serve you. Hey, quit looking at porn, and then I'll serve you. Hey, take a shower, and then I'll serve you. No, he met them exactly where they were, gave them a hand up, and helped them out and loved them. But the church has to be that way. It didn't matter if they looked like him. It didn't matter if they talked like him or, or thought like him or, or voted the same way as him or dressed like him or acted like him. They served him because he loved them. He had an eternal view of what the world looked like and what it was because he served us as an example. And so often I think we sit here in the church in our pews and our chairs and our nice air-conditioned buildings and we wait for God to roll back the clouds and shine a light and say, I want you to serve here this one thing over here because they need it. That's not how it works usually. Guys, it doesn't work that way usually. How much have we missed sitting on our hands waiting on God to do something that he'd already done? How many times have, have we looked past this and, and not obeyed this in expectations that God was going to give us a dream or a word from somebody else or a word from heaven that we're supposed to do this? Listen, guys, those things are great and those things happen. I've seen them. I've heard them, whatever. But listen, that's not how it normally works. You read Scripture, you do what Scripture says. You open the Bible, you read it, there it is, do it. Walk in it. Walk in obedience. Our heart in this as a church is that these cultures would be more than just a sermon series that you hear once a year. Our heart is that these would become personal to you. They would be your cultures, not Michael's or not the staff's. But if you're a member at Connection Church, I, I'm, I'm going to have a heart for serving. I have a heart for giving. I have a heart for going to the nations. I have a heart for being in a community. I have a heart for going across the street and evangelizing because Jesus loved me and it didn't leave me as an orphan. Right? Our, our heart is that you would take them on personally. Because listen, if we're obedient to Jesus' words in, in their entirety, it will take the entirety of your life to complete them. Forever. Forever. If you're obedient to the Great Commission, it will take the rest of your life to see it carried out. And we're praying you would look at this book and take this book seriously and read it and do what it says. Because look, James 2 is a great example of what I see the church, how I see the church nowadays. James 2, 14 through 17 says this, says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, is, if not accompanied by action, is dead. There's a few words in there that you need to see in the same way. But unfortunately, this is the approach the church has taken for far too long. The modern church are, is very quick to use phrases in the church like, I'll pray for you, man. I'll pray for you. Or, let me, this is my favorite. <laughs> this is my favorite. <laughs> Y'all don't get me started. Look, this is my very favorite. Let me know if you need anything. <laughs> Do you really mean that? Do you know what I mean? Let me know if you need anything. I'll be praying for you. Keep me posted. Everybody's like, I've said it this week, right? And so listen, but what action do we take in that? Do we have friends in our lives that will drive over to our house unwanted to make sure we're okay? Do we have people that say, here, here's some money. You need something. Here, I'm giving you something now for you to... Listen, are we, serving our, are we serving our brothers and sisters in Christ tangibly, or am I just giving them lip service? Because I want to tell you, Jesus didn't give us lip service. He didn't say, I'll come one day for y'all. Y'all just keep going. Y'all are good. I'll, 
y'all need anything, let me know. That's not what he said. He came, lived, and died for us to live a life that he's called us to live. Man, James is saying, what good is this? It's useless. You're just giving me just words and noise is all you're doing. That's why the message of Jesus is unbelievable to a world out there because they see us talking but not acting. That's what it's about, man. We have to understand that our deeds in our lives, the things that we do, is always the smoke from the fires of our faith. That's what's going to point to our faith. The, the, the people in the world are going to see our faith through what we do. Our deeds don't save us, though. Hear that. Our deeds don't save us. Serving doesn't save us, but it is evidence of our salvation. And we have to understand that if we follow Jesus, we will lovingly serve other people. We will put people above ourselves. We will jump at the chance to serve. We will die to ourselves and deny ourselves and put Christ first and other people before ourselves. And so my question, are we serving that way? Are we serving selflessly out of the overflow of what Christ did for us? Or is it all just religious noise? You know, ask yourself that question. That's just for you to answer rhetorically. Number two, the reason why we serve. Jesus saved us. Jesus served us. Jesus saved us. And had you hadn't noticed, there are all going to be S's. Okay. Pastor. So. Jesus saved us. Jesus saved us. Saved people seek the salvation of others. If you're a Christian in this room and you don't care about the lost, you don't understand the gospel. I'm not trying to be rude or ugly or saying, hey, you're not saved. Don't say That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the, the fact is, if you're a believer in Jesus and you don't care about the lost, if you're a Christian and you're following the Bible and you don't care about the lost, you have question to doubt your salvation. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying you need to figure it out. And that's between you and God. Listen, Jesus provided a way of salvation where there was no way. Listen, that's why we serve. When we truly understand the great cost of our salvation, that Jesus did not have to step out of heaven, that Jesus did not have to die for us, what happens is our hearts will be softened for the salvation of other people. Like, when I understand what great cost that Jesus paid for me, he died on the cross, not just dying, but it was a torture, torture, torture. His skin was ripped off his back for me, my sins, for, for me to live, for him to die. It was called, it was, it was the great exchange. A lot of people call it a scandalous exchange. It was, it, was, it was crazy. He saved us by giving himself in our place. So I should care and I should give myself in someone else's place. I should walk it out in my life in that way. His life in exchange for my life. We should do the same. How can we do anything else but serve him? Answer that question. How can we do anything else when faced with that reality other than serve Jesus? Point others to Jesus. How can we turn our back and choose anything else? Romans 12, 1, Paul says it this way. He says, therefore, brothers, I urge you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. So you look at the Bible, it says, in view of God's mercy. When I look at God and I see what he could have done to me, instead he didn't, if my sin before God without Jesus, tissue on the sun paper, tissue paper on the sun, done, you've gone, done. Sin and before God's eyes is unimaginable. Without Jesus, we have no hope. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you don't have hope. My heart is that you would know, come and know and to love Christ and you would give your life to him and you would allow, I would love to pray with you this morning before you leave if that's where you're at. 
But listen, because of God's great mercy, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice, if you look at the context which Paul is talking, back in the day, they would sacrifice lambs and goats and rams and cows. And they would sacrifice these animals. They would cut them up. They would put them on the offering. And they'd burn them up. Whatever he's, Paul is taking it up a notch again. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That means you willingly get up on the altar and, and say, hey, God, suck it. I'm here as your sacrifice, Lord, to use me. Use me as an instrument of your grace. That changes things, right? That changes our whole perspective on what it means in Romans 12 to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. In view of God's mercy, we love. In view of God's mercy, we serve. In view of God's mercy, we follow. And what the church needs to understand is that it, this isn't some optional thing that we do as we follow Jesus like an add-on to our faith or something, man. It's an overflow of our relationship with him, our faith in him. If Jesus is Lord of your life, you follow him. If Jesus is Lord of your life, you don't say, I don't really feel like doing that today. Try following a king that way and see what happens. I'm telling you, it won't be good for you. It's important that we understand. Jesus didn't leave us with the great option to go and make disciples. It was the great commission. He, he, he commissioned us to go and to make disciples, to serve others just as Jesus served us. He left us the example. And what was his example? His example was death. That's hard, man. That's hard to swallow, right? We're supposed to die to ourselves to serve others so that other people can live. We're supposed to die to ourselves so that other people can receive the message of the cross. So are we coming alongside of others in hopes that, that them seeing Christ? Or are we comfortable where we're at, tucked away nice and neat in our churches? Now, when we look at the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, we see people in this story that should have gotten it when it comes to serving other people, when it comes to caring for someone else's soul, but they didn't, the priest and the Levite, right? They should have gotten it because they knew this book very well. They knew it. They were like, I know this book. I, you, they knew it so well they were trying to condemn Jesus to it, right? So, listen, they should have gotten it, but they didn't. But guess what? Then this person comes along who is looked at as the lowest scum of the earth in that day, the lowest of the low, the low-class citizen in their day. And the first question the priest and the Levite asked were basically this, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? Right? That's what they were asking. If I stop and help this dude that's been beat up and all this other stuff, what's going to happen to me? I might get beat up. You know, I don't know. I might lose my money. I might lose my job. I might lose my nice home. I might lose my car. I might lose my friendships with these people if I stop and help this person. But what did the Samaritan do? He said, his question was, if I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That's the heart behind the difference in, in our relationships with Jesus versus the religion. Do you see the difference? One was motivated by love, motivated by God to serve. The other one was mindless and selfish in motive. You have to remember, your salvation had nothing to do with you. Some people are like, what? Pretty sure it did. Your salvation had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with Jesus and him being glorified. You being bought back. To God. That's what it has to do with, man. The driving force in our heart has to be the salvation of other people. Because if we make it about us, what we have done is we perverted the gospel. We have no room for prosperity gospels in the church. We have no room for any kind of gospel that makes us the sinner when Jesus is meant to be the sinner. This is why we serve. 
If you're serving here on a Sunday just to be a spot filler and your heart's not in it, my goal for you right now is that you would quit because you don't get it. My heart for you is that you would serve because you love Jesus and you love people. That's my heart. So hear this today. Matthew 20, 25 to 28 says this. Jesus called them together and says, you know what the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their, their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. Hear that today. Jesus came to give his life for a ransom, as a ransom for many. Number three, Jesus sent us. We've been sent. We have been sent. John 17, 18 says, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And what I want to tell you this morning is that sent people live with a high purpose. Sent people live with a high calling. They know their calling is up here. Someone who is sent is, is different, has a different motivation and a drive or a purpose. And if you have trusted Jesus as your Lord, as your Lord, then your life looks radically different than it did before meeting Jesus. He sends you out into the world to love people, to, to, to give your life to love and to serve people, to actively share the gospel with people. The reason that we serve and to love people is that we would have a chance to love and serve them in a way that would show them Jesus. When our, when our, when our identity is rooted in Christ, this all changes. We're not, we're not only not of this world anymore, but we're also sent right back into the world on a redemptive mission to carry out the works of the kingdom, to spread the gospel to all nations, and that includes our neighbors. And so my challenge for you in this is that instead of praying prayers, asking God for things that you think you want or you need, start asking him to show you where you are supposed to fit into his mission. God, what do you want me to do in my life, and how do you want me to further your kingdom? That changes everything. That changes all your, your selfish goals and aspirations, Right? That changes things. God, help me pay these bills. God, I need, I need it this month. You know, it changes that from, God, just use me. Use me wherever I'm at. I don't care what it looks like. Have you reached that type of surrender before? Because fulfilling this mission leaves absolutely no room for self. None. None. Serving leaves absolutely no room for self. Zero. Because if we believe otherwise, if we believe it's about us, there's still parts of us that think it's about me, that we haven't even begun to understand God's plan for the world. So are we living as people who have been sent by God himself? Ask yourself that. And lastly, these are going to go by very fast, so listen closely. The three things that hold us back from serving like this. The first one is selfishness. We may say it. We may, we may say that we love Jesus. We may say that we love serving, but our actions speak differently maybe. We may not say, hey, I'm selfish, but we treat life like it's about us right? I need a break. <laughs> I'm this. Philippians 2, again, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. If somebody who's selfish is usually not going to serve for very long. If they do, they'll get burnt out very fast. Number two, materialism. Materialism. We care more about what we can get than what we can give. That's just the way it is. Like, you can't serve with a heart like Christ wants you to, if you're concerned more about material than you are about spiritual things. We have to decide 
Are we going to give to further the kingdom of God? Or are we going to get in attempts to, to build my own kingdom? Right? In fact, the most important question that you're going to have to answer for the, your entire life is, is, is once you become a believer, is am I going to be a kingdom builder or am I going to be a wealth builder? Because you can't be both. And listen, I'm not saying that money's bad. But you can't focus your life on getting more things and at the same time give yourself to help people just as Jesus did. Because if Jesus was focused on building his bank account, he would never have died on the cross. And I'm not saying money is bad. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not even saying that the desire to be successful is bad because that's not bad. But I am saying that if you have a desire to fulfill your coffers, to build your bank account, to build you, 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 your kingdom, while there are brothers and sisters who are struggling and churches that are struggling and people needing the gospel and people not having the gospel, 7,000 people groups in the world, it is bad. I, I am saying that storing up treasures on earth while your bank account in heaven is bankrupt, that's bad. When, when your success is either driven, if your success is not driven by eternity in the gospel, it's worthless because it has a time limit on it. it the, the gospel has to drive everything. Listen, number three, number three, busyness. All right, here we go. Busyness. We fill our schedules to the max. We hired Eric a couple weeks ago, and I, I, I sent an sent a, uh, email to him this week about uh, just some, uh, some schedules and different things that I use for my time. And I was looking back at my schedule, I'm like, holy crap, I got a lot of stuff to do. I forgot to do this last week. I, well, I mean, there's so much stuff on our calendars, man. There's so many things. We overcommit ourselves we, just because I, I, got, oh, I got so much to do. And so how much of those things on your schedules, on your daily schedules, are things that God has called you to do? To further his kingdom, and how many of those things on there are to further your own kingdom? Ask yourselves that question. Our schedules are so slammed that we have to fit time in with Jesus whenever we have time. And it seems impossible. And the more I'm so tired because of work, I'm just trying to find time to spend with God. That's so weird. When you see God stand before him face to face and you're like, I tried to fit time in with you, bro. That's going to be a very weird statement in that context. Okay, I'm going to let you know that you're going to feel very embarrassed and kind of awkward in that moment because you're like, I kind of made things important that wasn't very important, <laughs> right? That moment's coming. I'm letting you know now. I'm doing my job as a pastor to warn you, as Scripture says, it's coming. All right, we're good. All right, our schedules get so slanted. How many times do you talk to people? Hey, man, how you doing? Busy. I'm busy. <laughs> what, what you doing? What you doing? I mean, what you been doing? Like, then they can't tell you anything they've been doing, right? Well, I've been working. I've been working. Work's busy. Them kids, man. You know, what else? What else? You, who's in control of your time? Who's in control? Do you have some time person that's kind of like, you will do this? You're going to do this? You're going to do this? You have to do this, right? Who's in control of that? You are. You are in control of your time. You're in control of how you steward your time. Believe it or not, you are. Men, you are in control of how your family spends their time. You're in control of women and men who have jobs. You're in control of not your boss. You might lose your job, but guess what? You can find another one. You're in control of your time. And how is it that we've minimized or diminished the time with God and we've tried to fit him somewhere between on a priority list between our, our favorite TV show and our social life and our jobs? 
We, I got to watch that Netflix show because it came out this week, and I got to, that Stranger Things, man, is awesome. I got to watch it. Do, wh- whatever. Whatever it is. Where are you trying to fit your time in with God? Am I tr- what is that about? It's weird. Te- okay. Test yourselves. Test yourselves. Test yourselves. Ask yourself this. If God said, quit your job, what would you do? Are you even in a place to hear him say that? Quit your job. A lot of you are like, I'd do it right now. Is that God saying it right now? I'm not saying that. If he says, if he says get, out your, get out the relationship that you're in. Get out that relationship, man or woman. Or not. If you're married, don't get out. <laughs> I'm talking about dating couples here, okay? If you're dating someone and it's, it's ungodly and God says get out of that relationship, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? If he says move here, I want you to pack up your clothes and move to India. I want you to pack up your house and move to Indonesia or Africa or Florida or Atlanta or because I've got a job I want you to do there. I've got a job that I want you to do. I've got people I want you to talk to. What will you do? What if someone's only chance to see Jesus in this life was through the way that you lived, you loved, and you served them? Being obedient to God. As Christians, we need to step into the high calling of following Jesus in more ways than just our words. Action steps have to happen. Galatians 5, 6 says this. It says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Remember, God blesses us for what we, not for what we know. He doesn't bless you for how much information you know, but how you respond to what you know. You're not going to get to heaven in that moment where you're trying to explain your schedule He's not going to be like, bro, you knew so much scripture, man. You knew the whole New Testament in Greek. I'm, I'm impressed. Come on into your rest. No, that's not what he's going to say. That's not what he's going to say at all. He's going to look at you and says, what did you do with what you had? How did you steward the word of God? How did you steward your time? How did you steward your money? How did you steward your family? Obedience has to follow our knowledge, does it? And when you read Scripture, does it follow what you do? Has what we've learned in Scripture been revealed through the way that we live? Does our knowledge of the Word move us into action, or is it just sit and stale? And do we sit on our hands and be like, I really should do more of this. But that's as far as it goes. Listen, I have this analogy that I kind of kick, it's probably done a thousand times, but I like to take credit for it because I thought it in my mind. So it says this, like, the head... The heart and the hands. I feel like as I read scripture, it comes into my head. As I memorize scripture, as I pour into it, it comes down, it makes it what it flows down into my heart. And as it flows down into my heart, it should come out of my hands and serve other people. Head, heart, hands. That's how it flows out of our lives because God promises if we would live like this, that we would become a channel of blessing for the world around us. And your mind cannot fathom what God will do through your life if you give yourselves completely to him because God will always reward obedience but never success. It's not about success, it's about obedience. So the question this morning is what is your next step when it comes to this? How are you serving others around you? Are you surrendered to Christ? Are you surrendered to him? Is he your all in all? Is he everything you want? Is he all that you are serving in life? Is it be more faithful in connect groups? Are you, do you need to join a connect group to, to love and see what God's doing through that? Is it serving at church? If it's not this one, is it serving at your church that you go to? Is it serving people in your home? Is it serving your husband or your wife or your kids or your family? 
Is it serving the people down the street, the homeless person that you walk by 20 times and say good afternoon? Who is it that you're supposed to reach out to and love? Last question today is, where are you at with Jesus? Do a hard analysis of where you're at. Because the scariest thing in my life is to be a preacher who looks out on a crowd and preaches the gospel, and people think they got it, but they don't. Do you see evidence of Jesus working in your life? Do you see the fruit of the kingdom coming out in your life? Do you see Jesus working? Do you see him convicting you in areas and calling you to change? Do you see a push and a pull in your life? Don't be someone who's satisfied with just living on the outskirts of the Christian world or the church. It doesn't matter how far behind you think you are. I'm 45 or 50 years old. I should be further along this. I can't raise my hand. I can't go pray. It doesn't matter, man. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. Let that shame be gone, man. This is not a place for that. Let the Lord awaken your heart today and let him show you how much he loves you because he didn't spare an expense for, for, for anything to get you back. And don't sit here and just listen. Respond to him. The gospel is a message that we're supposed to respond to, not sit on. And so this morning, if you know, if you know in your heart that you never had a relationship with Jesus, I want to ask you to do something brave right now. Listen, God did something very bold and brave by sending his son to be raised up on a cross and die for the public world to see for your sins and for my sins, right? And so my heart today is that if you know in your heart that you don't have things right with Jesus and you know it's time to get things right with Jesus or you know that you've been living in the religious world for, for the entirety of your life but you've never walked in obedience with Jesus, I want to ask you this morning, if today is the day that you're called to be saved, the day this day that God has called you to, to, to walk in obedience to him by raising your hand and saying, I want to follow Jesus, today's the day. So if that's somebody in this room, I just want to ask you to boldly raise your hand and say, I want to follow Jesus this morning. Is that anybody? Amen. Amen. You got that? Amen. Awesome, brother. Can you pray with Eric? Awesome. That's what it's about, guys, right there. That's what it's about. Anybody else? Anybody else here this morning? Okay. If not, there's people on the sides who would love to pray with you if you need anything. We're going to pray. We're going to worship one more song before we leave. Um, and if, if you need anything, there's some chairs here. that we, For all you Methodist people, we got a kneeling rail for you. Um, I, I'm just joking. Sorry. Um, we have people that would like to pray for you on the sides, and um, I would love uh, to pray with you personally if you want to. I'll be over here. And so if you need that, um, that's available. So let me pray for us, and we'll go into worship, and then we will uh, go. So Lord, we love you so much. I just love you so much and what you've done for this, uh, this, this body and, and the church all over the world. Father, I thank you for this brother who is turning his life over to you. Father, I pray this morning that you would just move in this body, God, as, as we're just going into worship. I pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts to hear what you want us to hear, Father. Lord, we love you. We just ask you uh, just to bless us and to guide us and lead us, Father, as we go. In your name we pray. Amen.